song, Jesus is Near, because uh, there's just crazy stuff going on right now with the world and just everything that's happening every day. It seems like every moment, every day you wake up and there's something new that you have to battle and, and get through. And uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. I'm, I'm sure most of you know I've been I'm switched careers and I worked at one place for 23 years and now I'm moving to a new job that I don't really know anything about construction, but I'm learning every day. And uh, I know some of you guys will hear a word or a sentence and it can just give you a let's say, a message or a thought of the Lord. And when we had our uh, camp and it got canceled and we came here and had uh, one service after another and just all the great words, when uh, Darren spoke, he said something and instantly he said, hey, that could be a message in itself. And and I thought, yeah, it is a message. And then Ronnie came up to me Friday night, hey, get some ready. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So excited about that. But, uh, I want to talk about losing your head tonight. Lose your head. Uh, And the scripture I'm going to read first is coming from Mark chapter 6, verse 27. Mark 6, 27. It says, Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come here before you tonight, Lord God, and just thank you for this opportunity to be able to gather together and that we can glorify your name and fellowship together freely and safely and continually grow in you, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak through your servant right now, Lord, that your word would be glorified and that we would just go forth this week and give you all the glory in all that we do, Jesus. And we praise your name. Amen. And so uh, this verse is, of course, talking about John the Baptist and when he got beheaded uh, by Herod Antipas and I wanted to just, I didn't want to read the whole story because you guys should all pretty much know the story of it. Uh, but I wanted to talk about how John got himself into the situation. Because if you read the scripture, it's kind of vague as to why he would be in prison for saying uh, he, he went to Herod and he told Herod that it's not lawful for you to be with your wife. And it doesn't really specifically say why. It was unlawful, so I just wanted to look it up online, and I found some sources. But to make a longer story short, basically, Herod is the son of Herod the Great. He's the one that ordered all of the firstborn uh, when Jesus was born to be executed, so he doesn't really come from a line of honorable men. And so he married his half-brother's wife, Herodias, and uh, Herod's half-brother named Philip, And Herodias, I believe, is Herod's niece. So it was not only an improper marriage because Philip was still alive, so it was an adulterous marriage. It was also an incestuous marriage. So John the Baptist not only told him, hey, it's unlawful for you to be with this woman, it, 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 it didn't really upset Herod too much, but it really upset Herodias. And he wanted John the Baptist or she wanted John the Baptist dead immediately, but Herod was kind of afraid of the people and what would happen because of John the Baptist and what he represented, and he just preached the gospel, and he didn't want to have him assassinated right away or put him to death, so he just put him in prison. So Herod's predicament was he really enjoyed hearing John speak, and so he uh, took the opportunity to imprison him and protected him from his wife, 
But there came a time when they were having, I don't remember exactly what it was in scripture, but they were having a, a party and Herodias' daughter was dancing and Herod really liked what, what happened. And he said, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And you know, as, as men, sometimes we might say that around our wife, hey, whatever you want, I'll get it for you. And they say something and then you instantly regret it. And <laughs> this is pretty much what, what happened with Herod because... Uh, of course, his wife wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter, so she told her daughter, hey, go ahead, go, go say this to uh, Herod. And so he really had no choice because he, he was faced at that moment of, am I to preserve a prophet of God, somebody who I have under my protection right now, or do I let sin rule my life, and do I take his head and give into it? And we, we know what happened. He orders the instant execution of John the Baptist, and his head is brought on a platter to these women, these evil, wicked women. And such a disgraceful thing that a ruler, a Jewish ruler, would do this, and we know that they've done that so many times in the past. And I wanted to compare this to uh, our current spiritual leaders, uh, mainstream spiritual leaders, wherever you see it, it. It's kind of a common theme that a lot of the brothers have been talking about up here is we have too many preachers currently. I don't watch really anybody on TV, but there's a lot of preachers that you'll hear about around here all over the world that they mostly just care about the size of their congregation, the size of their paycheck, uh, how much power they have, how much popularity they have, and they care more about those things than preserving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's just we, we are living in a dark time where we need more saints of God to lose their head for the gospel. Because, you know, a lot of times people will tell you, don't lose your head. You know, don't, don't get angry. Don't do this and that. Uh, Hayden and Jennifer give me a hard time because when I do choose to watch the news, I usually start yelling at the TV. And, hey, don't lose your head. And, you know, all, all you young people, all you future uh, People that are going to get married, if you ever want to lose your head and uh, almost end your relationship, just go camping and try to put a tent together with your wife. <laughs> Easy. Easy fight. Almost automatic. But, but seriously, we, we need to be able to stand up for the truth and, and just be ready for uh, just what's coming. And you see so many people that go on TV uh, Christians, uh, speakers, musicians, whatever, they, re they represent Christ. And as soon as they're asked a question about homosexuality, transgender, you know, all the pop culture issues that are going on, abortion, they all, they all fumble with their answer. They don't know what to say. Well, I'm not the judge. I'm not this and that. It, it's clear, clearly spoken in God's word what to answer. They just, they can't speak against sin. And we have to speak specifically against sin and be prepared to give our answer for that. Amen? And uh, sin, if you have sin in your life, it will keep you from being faithful to the Lord with certain things. Uh, you won't be able to stand in times of trials and you have to make sure that you keep yourself pure always, not to be idle and constantly pursuing Christ and increasing in his favor and increasing in his word. Uh, 
I liken it to uh, weightlifting. They, they say a lot in weightlifting when you're working out, you, you hit a wall and you have to change your workout and you have to do something different in order to learn new things and train your muscles. That's the same thing we have to do in our walk with the Lord. You might hit a wall. You have to, you know, do different things. Get up earlier, pray a little bit more, read your word a little bit more, you know, turn the TV off for a minute and just train yourself up right so that your mind will be good and ready and prepared. And an example of this I have specifically in my life where this was about 13, 14 years ago. It was before we were in this church, and I was at a men's retreat, and one of my friends, Jason, we were in the same cabin, and it it was an awesome men's retreat, but I had been dealing with a sin issue in my life, and it was at the end of the day, we had gone back to our cabin, you know, lights out, going to bed, and all of a sudden, he starts pouring out his heart to me about something that's going on in his marriage. And I know what to say, but I'm frozen with fear because I have the same sin issue in my life and I can't tell him what to do right. So I just kind of tell him, well, I guess, you know, you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. I, I, I was just completely paralyzed with fear of my sin coming out into the open and, and me having to confess something that I had done in my life. So we have to make sure we don't have any sin in our life That way, we are prepared for a moment like that where we can say, look, you need to go to the Lord. You need to confess. You need to make it right. Because if you you don't have that advice, that counsel for somebody who needs it, who's pouring out their heart, then they're probably going to stumble and fall even worse. It says in Philippians 2.15, Philippians 2.15 says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And we know that we're living in a crooked and perverse generation. We need to be prepared to take a stand against evil, just like the prophets and apostles did in God's word. We have so many examples of people taking stands against kings and kingdoms and rulers and oppressors. Even, even in enslavement and imprisonment, they stand up for the truth. We have to be diligent in, per, in prayer and prepared for the onslaught of the enemy, the world, and the fleshly vessel we live in. Uh, so I have three examples. The first one, John the, John the Baptist. The second one is a story of Elijah. It comes out of 1 Kings 18 through 19. You don't have to pull up the scripture. I just kind of want to summarize it. This is the story of uh, Elijah and when he had a victory on Mount Carmel with the prophets of, uh, of uh, Baal. Uh, what happens is this story, it always reminds me how quickly we can take our focus on what the Lord's done in our life and what the Lord can do in our life after a mighty miracle is done. So Elijah is used by the Lord to do a mighty work. He has 450 prophets of, of uh, Baal and I think it's 400 prophets of uh, the, the grove, the prophets of the grove, they call it. They sat at the table of Jezebel. And so he brings all these prophets together on Mount Carmel, and he says, hey, you make a sacrifice to your Lord, and I'll make a sacrifice to my Lord, and we'll see who responds first. And he, even during this time, it's taking a matter of hours upon hours. He's, he's watching them prepare their sacrifice, pray. They cut themselves. They're... They're shouting, they're dancing, they're doing all this nonsense. And in uh, chapter 18, verse 27, he even mocks them. 
It says, and, and so it was noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awaked. So he's, he knows that the Lord is with him. He knows that the Lord is his strength, and he has all these enemies of the Lord right there with him. And the Lord does a mighty thing at the end of this. You know, he comes and he, he just soaks up the whole offering and fire, and he burns it all away. And then the, Elijah orders the, the slaughter of all these prophets, all these wicked men who sacrifice children and, and do all these terrible things. So he's, he's in there with his sword, slaughtering all these prophets. And then above all that, there had been a famine in the land, and he takes Abel and, uh, or not Abel, but he prays and rain comes upon the land. So he's, he's destroyed all these prophets and then prays for rain and rain comes on the land. And what happens after that is just amazing because all these miraculous things have happened. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 3, what happens is uh, Jezebel finds out what Elijah did to the prophets. I have it marked. Don't lose it. And it says uh, in 19, verses 1 through 3, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elisha, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So what do you think Elijah did after he heard this, after this message was told him? Uh, you know, he just did this amazing thing. All the prophets were slaughtered. He, he prayed for rain. Rain comes on the land. You know, the Lord is with him. And one lady says, hey, I'm going to take your life. You think he would have just laughed at her. What are you going to do against the strength of the Lord? You can't do anything. But no, it says in verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. And he ran away so fast that he just left his servant behind. You know, here comes a servant with some water. Where's my master? Well, he took off. He was afraid for his life. And it seems like this happens a lot. We, we have the Lord work in our life. We, we stood up. We fought the good fight. And then when it comes to finding out that we're, we're at risk of our reputation, of our physical life, of getting hurt, that all of a sudden we forget what the Lord did in our life. And it could have just been a moment ago. And now, now all of a sudden, we, we are trusting our own abilities and go into survival mode and try to take care of it ourselves, and we forget instantly what the Lord just did in our life. So Elijah allowed his flesh to take over instead of being faithful to the Lord. He, he thought he was the only one the Lord was using. He runs off into, into Beersheba, and he has a little pity, pity party, and he cries, and he's whining, and he wants to die. And the Lord reminds him of who he is and that he is strong enough and that he has 7,000 other men that have not bent the knee to Baal. It's not, it's not just you. You're not the only one out there. Elijah thought he was the only one out there standing up for the truth, standing up for the Lord. And when he thought he was going to be taken out, he ran away and was, you know, sobbing to the Lord. 
well, I'm the only one doing this. No, the Lord always has someone prepared to take over if you're not going to be willing to stand up and preach his gospel. So we, we, learn, we can learn from Elijah that we don't run from our troubles. We have to stand up and face them. No matter how difficult it is, how hard it is, whatever the issue, physical, spiritual, family, work, no matter what, we have to make sure that we're going to stand up and face those troubles and trust in the Lord. We're either going to trust in the Lord and have victory in him, or we're just going to trust in our own abilities, and we're going to ride a roller coaster. And it's, it usually doesn't end up that well when we, when we do it ourselves. Amen? All right. I think we're moving along pretty quick. The next example I have is coming out of Acts chapter 7. This is going to be the story of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Acts 7, 54 through 60. And this starts with Stephen having to dispute with some of the religious leaders of the day and he goes into a very detailed discourse of the basically the history of the Bible all the way leading up to Jesus Christ. And in verse 54, it starts, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried aloud with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lord, lay not this sin on their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Stephen wasn't afraid to stand up for the truth. Even in the face of death, he bared witness for Christ. And he probably knew what was going to happen. He knew that they didn't like hearing the word of the Lord. And he stood up in the face of these religious leaders and spoke the truth. And I just believe he gives the best example of standing firm and what to do when you're confronted by a bunch of people who oppose you, even threatened with physical harm. You see, people usually want to silence the truth, and we know that the, the truth is trying to be silenced every day by the media, by politicians, by anyone that opposes the Lord. There, there's always the, a suppression of the truth. But Stephen, he digs in his feet, and he just continually gives them truth after truth after truth until they get so sick of it, they cover their ears so they can't hear it. And in order to end, end the threat of that truth piercing their hearts, they destroy him and they take his life. So he gives his life for the gospel. He was a martyr for the Lord. And we just have to remember that even in the face of death, because we don't really suffer any persecution in America. It feels like it right now with, with COVID and everything, but not really. I mean, look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now. If you're a Christian and you were left in Afghanistan, good luck. 
you're going to have to trust in the Lord a lot right now because they're, they're probably banding together and trying to stay together and stand firm in the face of evil, in the face of death at any moment. And I, I just wanted to kind of close with, with a couple thoughts. I just feel like uh, Ronnie preached last week about being warriors, and a lot of the similar, same things were said. Uh, the Lord is preparing all of us for a battle right now. And I feel that where we're at with our political atmosphere, it's very volatile. Everything that's going on, uh, I mean, we're divided over masks and a vaccine and the next variant of COVID that could lock down the whole country and just all the mess that's going on, all the fear-mongering, all the propaganda, just what if, what if, what if. Well, we have to make sure that we're living for the day. We're trusting in the Lord right now. And he's, he's preparing us to lose our heads not literally, but just to be ready to fight that fight, to lose our heads for the gospel, to stand up for the truth. And we've had lots of conversations recently, and I can just really resonate with what Rodney was saying. I feel like there's always something that's happened, and I don't consider myself a very old man, but I am older now. I'm going to be 42 this year, and you know, I've seen some things. I've seen, you know, everybody thought the world was going to end at such and such time and, and panics and, and stock crashes and the housing bubble of 2008 and, you know, attacks on the church. And just it, it seems like there's really not a lot of believers out there when you're, in the, when you're in the workplace. It seems like when we come together, especially for those couple days a couple weeks ago, it was just a blessing uh, to my spirit to be able to fellowship every day. And but I feel like there's, there's a strangeness with everything going on. And after Pastor preached that message about what if, what if it is in five years or 10 years or 15 or tomorrow? We don't know. And there's, there's just something different. And it's not just the, the weaponized COVID hysteria. It's, it's, it's beyond that. It just feels like there's an evil growing and lurking in the shadows more and more. And it's going to reveal itself. And... I think since the beginning of last year of 2020, everybody thought, well, in a week, two weeks, in a month, maybe three months, it'll get better. And it just kept continually getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I don't think it's going to get better. Pastor has said this before. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And that's if it gets better. People try, try to say, well, we're waiting for the midterms. We're waiting for some new uh, elected officials to get in there and things will change. We don't trust the government. We have to trust in the Lord. That's, that's the only foundation that we can stand on. And it's just a taste of what's to come, everything that's happened. We need to make sure that we stand together, proclaim the truth, and be able to stand up and say, I love Jesus. In the face of somebody that's laughing at you, that's spitting in your face, no matter what, you're going to stand up for his truth. Because all the worldly systems, no matter if it's in America, China, Australia, wherever you're at, wherever the suppression is, we have to stand up no matter what. And there's, there's always going to be somebody who's going to try to silence you, who's going to try to suppress us, who's going to try to control us and shut us down and tell us that we can't meet, we can't preach, we can't read the word, we can't say the name of Christ. But there's going to always be another Elijah that's going to work miracles for the Lord. There's always going to be another John the Baptist to call out sin for what it is. And there's always going to be another Stephen 
to give their life for the gospel. And the same spirit that lived in all of those men lives in us. Amen? That's all I had, Pastor.